How many likes the Peanuts uh, cartoon characters, the cartoon strip? One of my favorites, grew up with it. Uh, One of the ones that uh, sticks out to me this morning that I feel like is appropriate to this message is that Charlie Brown and Lucy were talking, and, and Lucy says to Charlie Brown, I hate everything. Lucy says, I hate everybody. In fact, I hate the whole world. And Charlie says, but I thought you had inner peace. And Lucy said, well, I do have inner peace, but I still have outer obnoxiousness. (laughs) You know, last week we we began a series uh, on uh, on Advent, uh, and and we looked at the first theme of Advent, and that was hope. And we discovered there was a man named Simeon who had lived his life, a long life, and was given the promise by, by God that he wouldn't die before he saw Uh, the Messiah. They had been looking for the Messiah for hundreds of years after it had been prophesied in Isaiah and other books and other prophets in the Old Testament. And here's Simeon at the temple seeing the baby Jesus as he coming to be dedicated by his mother and father. And uh, so we saw this, Simeon had been faithfully waiting on the arrival of the promised Savior. And we learned from his story that, um, that our waiting should not be just idle laziness and sitting around and doing nothing, but in fact, it should be an active preparation that can be filled with hope. We're looking for the return of Jesus, amen? But we're not just going to sit back and just watch the clock and look at the skies, but we're going to be actively engaged in all that He's called us to do with the hope that we have that His return is, is is going to be as promised, as we saw the screen here just a few moments ago, a promise is only as good as the person who gives it. And I'm so thankful that we serve a Savior who doesn't lie. We serve a God who doesn't lie. All of His promises are yes, and so we say what to them? All of His promises are yes, and so we respond by saying amen. God is not a man that He would lie. He will do what He says that He will do. And He's already proven that not only that he's returning, but also in our current situations that we're in, whatever struggles, whatever things that we're facing in our life, there's hope that we have that he's not only going to show up, but he already has shown up in your situation. He's there with us and he gives us hope. Amen? He gives us hope that we're not alone. So today, we're going to turn our attention to the second theme of Advent, and that is something Lucy apparently struggled with, and that was peace, inner peace. So this this misery of Christmas shopping, by the way, that is upon us, it's not just Christmas, but it's the whole advent of Christmas shopping that is upon us. And uh, I personally don't care for Christmas because, I mean, I love Christmas, but all that it comes with of all the shopping reminds me of a story of two men. It's funny that uh, uh, Don had said something about, uh, uh, you know, these two men and, and, and being out on the lake and this, the, all of that, because these two guys actually were in Florida, and they decided to go out sailing uh, on the ocean while their wives went Christmas shopping. This is a few days before Christmas. Two men, two husbands said, we're going to go on the boat sailing. You ladies go and shop. Now, while the men were out sailing, this terrible storm arose, <laughs> and they had this great difficulty keeping their boat under control. And uh, they, they, as they maneuvered their way back to the land, they were grounded on a sandbar. It was just getting worse and worse. They jumped overboard of the boat. They had to push with all their might, trying to get the boat into deeper water. And as they were doing this, the wind was blowing terribly, and the waves were rushing in upon them, and they were just getting soaking wet, and their knees were deep in mud. And one of the guys looked at his buddy and said, you know, it sure beats Christmas shopping, though, doesn't it? <laughs> sure. It just beats it all all over the place. 
You know, I'm not much of a shopper. Thank goodness and thank the Lord. Kelly is the one that's taking care of the Christmas shopping, and she's such a, she does so good at that, and um, I'm so thankful for that. She's, she just does a great job and wraps the presents so beautifully. But uh, especially in the holiday season, I'm not really a, a big fan of going to the malls. I don't like going to the, to the traffic and the impatience of people and just the chaos. Uh, especially you think about Black Friday, uh, you know, from Black Friday to Christmas Eve, and I don't know how people do it, by the way, they're shopping on Christmas Eve. How do they do it? First off, everything's picked over. Secondly, how do you, how do you, how do you wait two, two hours before Christmas and get all of your Christmas stuff? They, some people thrive on that. But from Black Friday to Christmas Eve, it's enough to keep me as far away from the malls as possible. Can I get an amen? Now, isn't Black Friday crazy, by the way? I have to admit that as much as I hate crowds and as much as I can't stand the mayhem of Christmas shopping, I did get sucked into the Black Friday frenzy <clears throat> some time back. I can't remember how long ago it was. I'm going to say 20 years ago. I learned my lesson, haven't done it since. <clears throat> but I, I looked at, 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 on Thursday, you know, Thanksgiving, when it's like the thickest newspaper of the year, right? Because they have all these inserts from all the different stores who want you to come and go shopping at their particular place on Black Friday, that first big day of Christmas shopping. So I looked at all the inserts on Thanksgiving morning, and I saw this item that I just couldn't live without. <laughs> and I saw that it was going to be deeply discounted, and I also saw that there was a limited supply, like, you know, the first 100 people, you know how they do? And so, uh, so whoever got to the door first could get it, you know, so I'm struggling. I'm, I'm trying, struggling to remember what it was. I want to say it was some sort of electronic device, maybe a flat screen TV. I think that's what it was. But whatever it was, it compelled us to get up at 4 a.m. on Friday morning after Thanksgiving, you know, which is hard to do anyway because you're already filled up with all the food from the day before. But you're getting up at 4 a.m., it's cold, and you go outside and you wait in line at this very cold temperature along with rest of all the rest of the insane people that are out there doing the same thing. A lot of nuts like me. So there we all were, freezing, dark, with apparently the entire population of our city there. And we got into this store for this amazing deal. It was just ridiculous. And finally, this, the time came. The doors were open. The doors swung open. And this mad dash cramming pile of people into this little opening that was only designed for two or three people at a time. And 50 people were trying to get it all at once. Arms and legs everywhere. And things began to escalate very quickly. Suddenly there was a shouting and shoving as people who would otherwise act as civilized human beings any other time of the year devolved into this wild maniac sort of activity. They were determined to get dibs on that rare door buster that they promised little Susie and little Johnny, I promise I'm going to get you for their Christmas gift. You know, what was once a fun adventure turned into a retreat to safety. How many's been part of a Black Friday situation like that? Two, three, four. The rest of you guys are brilliantly smart and wise people. Don't ever get involved in that. By the way, ours was not an isolated incident. The same scenario plays out all over America each year. You see it on the news channels where the people are just all over the place. And by the way, it seems like it's even more violent and chaotic degrees of uh, activity as the year as the years roll on. You know, it's funny how that same item, by the way, that we climbed over 100 people to get is now either broken, it's out of date, it's donated to the goodwill, or we sold it 
at a yard sale for pennies on the dollar that we, you know, originally purchased it for. I, I asked the question, and maybe let's, all of us ask it, how is it that cr- the Christmas season that should be filled with joy and peace is so often filled with anger and frustration as the worst of the human spirit is revealed? I'm sure if you ask around that every individual wants to experience peace at Christmas, but too often there's conflict, there's frustration, there's disappointment, and that's really what is present. Amid this chaos, this, it's, it's in really direct opposition of the peace that Jesus has come to provide for us and to the world If you go back to the Old Testament, much of the Bible is written by people who found themselves in the middle of conflict and struggle as well. We're no different where we are now as they were back then. A lot of the Old Testament is a story of the people of God who are under siege. They're surrounded by nations, exiled to foreign countries. They're enslaved to powerful empires. The Old Testament writers were often crying out for God to bring peace. One of the prophetic promises in the book of Isaiah that we know very well that I'm getting ready to read It's addressing the need for a new leader who would come and be the prince of peace. They believed that God was faithful. How many believe that God's faithful today? And God always keeps his promises. How many believe that God always keeps his promises? Amen. And so these people back then, they eagerly waited. They were filled with hope for God to send rescue. How many is filled with hope today that God one day soon will bring rescue to this situation that we're in? If you will turn to me with Isaiah, to Isaiah chapter 9 and read along with me starting in verse 6, verse 7, very familiar passage. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, Isaiah writes. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. And he'll reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. What a great promise. You know, the promise of God in Isaiah is for a coming ruler who would usher in a new government that would have no end. There's going to be a child who is born who will be a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, a prince of peace. You know, this wasn't the reality at the time that Isaiah was writing this. But it gave hope to the people, not just then that were reading it, but through the centuries. To the Jewish people that that were in exile, they were in bondage at that time. And it reminded them that God had not forgotten about them. Church, I'm here to tell you today that God has not forgotten about you. God has not forgotten about us. God has not forgotten about the world. It's no secret that we live in a time where there's little peace around us. We can watch the news for just a few minutes and see that all around in this world there's struggle and there's pain. We see it in the unrest even in our country. Racial division, massive protests, political turmoil, economic uncertainty, moral erosion, the list goes on and on. We see it in the global pandemics and wars that are taking place, the continuation and the repercussions of COVID-19, plus other mysterious and potentially deadly outbreaks that are looming, you just never know. Wars in Ukraine and Russia, Israel and Hamas, possibly China and Taiwan, 
Other skirmishes and rumors of war, you never know what tomorrow will bring. We see it in the lack of water and food in far-off countries, famines and droughts and pestilence and earthquakes and volcanic eruptions and floods, other natural disasters. that seem to be daily occurrences. People that are subsisting and living day to day, living hand to mouth. Church, it's a reminder that we live in a broken world. A world in the throes of birth pangs as we see the return of Christ getting nearer and nearer. Sometimes, in fact, more times than not lately, it seems like as we get closer to home and, and, and we look closer to home, that we see in our friends, families, and also in our own families, as people everywhere are at odds with one another, there's no peace. Whether far off or near, we can relate to the people of God's desire for there to be one who would rule over all and bring order to the chaos and healing in a broken world. We're looking for a prince of peace. In fact, there's a couple of things I want to say about that. Because the Bible says in Revelation that there's going to be a man of peace that's going to show up, but he's really not going to be a man of peace. He's going to provide false peace. He's the Antichrist. And he's going to try to represent Christ. He's going to try to represent the one who would bring peace to the world, but he's actually going to bring division and chaos. And I'll just say this, and I hope that you won't be left behind, but if you're watching this or if you're here today and you're left behind, don't fall for it. Don't fall for the man of peace. He's a false peace. There's a way that you can guarantee not being here, and I'll help you out with that in a few minutes. But if you choose to reject Jesus, you will be left behind when Jesus comes back to bring the church up to heaven with him. And you will go through the tribulation, the worst seven years that the world has ever known. And this man of peace will rise up, the Antichrist, and he will claim to have all the answers. Don't believe him. Don't fall for it. Remember these words today. But I'll also say this. One of the descriptors of the Bible says that these last days just before Jesus' return will be people crying out for peace. If we read 1 Thessalonians 5, 3, He's going to, we read that while people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. What this is talking about is just before the return of Christ, there's going to be the same sort of scenario as a woman would be having right before she gives birth where the labor pains, the contractions start happening. Women, you can probably say amen to this. Those of you who have had babies, you know what I'm talking about. I don't know what you're talking about, but I certainly have heard the stories, the contractions, the, the pain, the constant, frequent, and more repeatedly, uh, and more intense uh, contractions, that are the labor pains, that produces a beautiful baby. But the pain and the struggle that happens before... Uh, you know, it has to happen before the baby to be born. We see that happening now in the world today, church. What you're seeing today happen in the world, this chaos, this lack of peace, this confusion, this turmoil, this division, is part of what the Bible says in the last days is going to take place. It's the labor pains just before the return of Christ. And I'm going to get into this sometime in the next several weeks. I'm looking at doing something in our week of fasting and prayer to talk about some different things about the signs of the times and give you an update on things and how things are going. But if you'll notice, the events are being more frequent and they're getting more intense. 
than ever before. Those of us who have been around a little bit longer than others can see that things are not business as usual in the world today, are they? They're getting more intense and they're getting more frequent and it's covering every possible category you can imagine. Church, Jesus is coming soon. And we see this even today while we're seeing the wars that are happening across the world. And particularly, I'll talk about Israel for a moment, where everybody in the world has their attentions back on Israel again. This little state, this little country that's no bigger than the state of New Jersey has not just been today, not just this week, not just this year, but it's been this way ever since it was birthed in 1948 and even before then, but especially since 1948. All the attention of the world has tried to make peace in that region. And now all the more you're hearing voices, peace and safety, peace and safety. Aren't you hearing that more and more? When people say that, destruction is going to come on them suddenly. We long to see peace come to the world. We long to see God fulfill his promise of the one who will rule with love and compassion. And he will be our prince of peace, the true prince of peace. Hundreds of years later, after Isaiah wrote this prophetic passage, the promise did come to pass. It's another passage that we know all too well, very familiar the first people to hear about it, though, by the way, were just a bit of a surprise. If you'll turn with me to Luke chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Now just look with me for just a moment and imagine out in the fields just outside of Bethlehem, the city of David, there was a group of shepherds who were watching their flocks of sheep during the night. Now, typically when we think about shepherds, we think about cute little boys wrapped up and dressed in some sort of blankets or sheets or something like that with a little belt and a little hat and a little staff, just cute little Johnny, little cute little boys. But the shepherds were anything but cute. Shepherds were seen as some of the lowest of the low in Jewish society. <clears throat> They were nomadic groups who would often live off the grid and they would find pasture of their sheep to graze in wherever they could. They were usually single young men without children. They were not clean and they probably didn't smell very good. They were a blue collar crowd who worked hard to earn a living. They were considered second class people and that they were also considered to be untrustworthy. And yet these were the first people to hear the birth announcement of the long-awaited one, which brings me to my first point today, an encouraging truth that we can all appreciate. Listen to this. The peace of Christ is for everyone. You know, there's a sense from the very beginning of the Christmas story that the hope and the peace and the joy that, and the love that arrived with the birth of Jesus is not just for the powerful. It's not just for the perfect. It's not just for the refined and not just for the wealthy. It's not just for the pious. It's not just for the holy. 
It's not just for the first class. It's not just for the respectable. The child who is born in the manger, the Messiah, the Son of God, is for everybody, everywhere, including all of us here today. The peace that will come with his leadership and rule is not for the ones who are already in power, who are already perfect, who are already have arrived, but for the ones also who are scratching and clawing just to make it another day. If you don't feel like that you're worthy of the peace that is found in Jesus today, listen to me. Just know that you're in good company. If God chose the second class and the rejected shepherds to be the first to hear, then let's all breathe a sigh of relief that God's criteria for receiving the good news qualifies all of us here today, no matter who we are or what others think of us or about us. One of the things that the angel said, in fact, the very first thing that the angel said is, don't be afraid. And their first response was absolute terror. Think about it. Can you imagine? There they are. And all of a sudden, these angels appear out of nowhere. You know, we have our imaginations probably. They were glowing. Who knows, you know? But some way, they were noticed. They were fearful because the glory of the Lord was shining around them in this dead of night. It must have been an overwhelming experience. But the first words that the angel said is, do not be afraid. And I believe that those first words spoken over the shepherds, do not be afraid. I believe that those words are for us today. Because you see, those are words of peace. If you'll keep those words up there for just one moment. Do not be afraid. You see, though you may be facing a painful situation today, do not be afraid. Though you may be facing an unfavorable diagnosis today, do not be afraid. Though you may be struggling to restore a relationship, do not be afraid. Though you, though you may be anxious about circumstances that are swirling around you, swirling around you in the world, our country, your community, your family, your personal situation, do not be afraid. Here's why you're not to be afraid. Because the angel said that he was bringing good news of great joy, which shall be to all people. I love good news. How about you? I hate bad news. How about you? I don't think anybody loves bad news. I think 100% of us will agree today that we love good news and we hate bad news. No one likes bad news. We all love good news. I always get anxious whenever someone comes to me and says, well, that's some good news and some bad news for you. Which one do you want to hear first? You know, my usual response is, well, uh, I would love to say, I don't want to hear... I only want to hear the one of them. I just want to hear the good news. That's all. You leave the bad news. I don't want to hear no bad news. But because I usually don't have a choice, I guess I'd take the bad news first, and then I'll take the good news. You know, kind of leave it on a positive note. Give me something to hang on to, something to hope for. By the way, why is it that when something comes up, we automatically think the worst news? You ever thought about that? What's the matter? Oh, no, what's wrong? Why are they calling? Why do they want to talk to me? Uh-oh, this can't be good. We automatically go to that. A couple of weeks ago when Pastor Matt 
I was calling him up, you know, and I was announcing the good news of Pastor Matt and his official status as Reverend Matthew Shear. I heard later that many thought that I was calling him up to announce that he was resigning. You just go out of my, go to the bad stuff, don't you? Oh, no, he's quitting. Where's he going? No, it's good news, you know. Not all news is bad news. There's a lot of good news out there as well. But now today I do need to announce. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, no. No. You know, maybe you can use some good news today because your spirit has not known peace for quite some time. You're living in the, in the midst of some chaos, some struggle, some, something hard. In the arrival of Jesus Christ, we're given good news today. And again, that's what Advent is all about. It redirects our thoughts and heart back to the purposes of why Jesus came. It's not that we can have a bunch of presents and sit on Santa's lap and eat a lot of food. That has nothing to do with Christmas. It's what we've made it. It's what the world has made it. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with any of those things. But let's not let Jesus get lost in the mix of this as to the primary purpose of what Christmas is all about. And so during this time, these next weeks before Christmas, I'm just encouraging you, as I did last week, to reflect on the hope that maybe you can find in Jesus. This week, it's, let's reflect on the peace that we can have in Jesus and not be so stressed out about what's going on in the world, about what's going on in your life. He's our Prince of Peace, and we can rest in that. The good news is this, and I'm speaking to you individually today. Listen to me. You've not been forgotten by God. In fact, He's come to be with you in the midst of your struggle. I'm so thankful that God is in charge, amen? I'm so thankful that God is in charge of the world. I'm thankful that God is in charge of your life if you let him be. He's in charge of your future if you let him be. He's in charge of everything seen and unseen because that's what God's word says. He has things well in hand. And it may seem like that there's chaos and turmoil going on in the world. God has not stepped back and said, I don't know what to do with this. God is in control. He said it was going to happen. He told us in his word that it would. And so we can rest in that saying, Lord, I have a peace knowing that your hand is still on the steering wheel and you are still in control. I'm so glad that Jesus is the king. In fact, he's not just a king. He is the king of all kings and he is the Lord of all lords. Every king, every lord, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, every king, every dictator, every politician, every movie star, everybody that thinks they're anything in a bag of chips will bow down, including Satan himself will bow down one day and confess, Jesus Christ, you are king of kings and lord of lords. I want to be there that day. Watch that happen. How about you? Church, we're on the winning side. And know that God's still in control. He's the one you've been waiting for. He's the one you've been looking for. He's your Prince of Peace because His peace is for everyone. Which brings me to my second point today, and that is this. You saw it on the screen at the intro. Peace is not the absence of conflict. Oh, if I can just not have conflict. Well, good luck with that. Peace is not the absence of conflict, but in fact, it is the presence of God in your conflict. So we're going to have conflict, correct? Correct. I mean, we're always going to have conflict in our life. 
struggles, turmoil, circumstances. There's just stuff that goes on because that's the thing of life. But we can either choose to say, you know what? I'm going to do this on my own. God, I don't need you, which that's a fool's choice. Or we can say, God, I need you with me because in my turmoil, in my conflict, in my stress and chaos, you are there as the eye of the storm. You are my peace in the midst of my turmoil. You see, the peace that Jesus brings in our lives is not necessarily the absence of conflict. As much as we would love for that to happen, and there are times where we can have a little moments of rest and places of (sighs) catching our breath. But we're most of the time going to have conflict and most of the time going to have trouble. But instead of saying that peace is the absence of it, we can say instead it's the confidence that we're not alone in the middle and in the midst of our conflict. Think about this in the Old Testament. Daniel was in the midst of the lion's den, but he didn't fret. He rested in God's peace because God was there shutting up the mouths of those hungry lions. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were thrown in the fiery furnace, but they didn't fret. They rested in God's peace because God enveloped them with protection from the deadly flames. Paul and Silas were thrown in jail, but they didn't fret. They rested in God's peace and sang songs of praise to God in the midst of their false imprisonment and difficult circumstance. And that's the thing, because you see, the kind of peace that comes from God looks different from what we may expect. I want to read to you, a, I want to share with you a story here. A long, a long ago, a man sought the perfect picture of peace. He, 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 uh, he, he put out a, an announcement that I'm looking for a perfect picture of peace. He commissioned some people to paint the perfect picture of peace. He couldn't find one that satisfied, so he announced this contest to produce this masterpiece. The challenge stirred the imagination of artists everywhere, and paintings arrived from far and wide. Finally, the great day of unveiling had arrived, and the judge began to uncover one peaceful scene after another, while the viewers clapped and cheered as they saw the interpretations of what peace was all about. The tensions grew, and only two pictures remained veiled. And as the judge pulled the cover from the one uh, picture, a hush fell over the crowd. A mirror-smooth lake reflected lacy green birches under the soft blush of the evening sky. Along the grassy shore, a flock of sheep grazed undisturbed. Surely this was the winner. And then the man with a vision of this painting that he he was looking for, he uncovered the second painting himself, and the crowd gasped in surprise. Could this be peace? A tumultuous waterfall cascaded down a rocky precipice. Look at the picture as it's up there. The crowd could almost feel its cold, penetrating spray. Stormy gray clouds threatened to explode with lightning and wind and rain. In the midst of the thundering noises and bitter chill, a spindly tree clung to the rocks at the edge of the falls. One of its branches reached out in front of the torrential waters as if foolishly seeking to experience its full power. A little bird had built a nest in the elbow of that branch. Content and undisturbed in her stormy surroundings, she rested on her eggs. With her eyes closed and her wings ready to cover her little ones, she manifested peace that transcends all earthly turmoil. By the way, that's the picture that won. I'm so thankful that we serve a God that can help us experience true peace in the midst of our storms. You may feel like that you're like that bird there, hanging out on a 
precariously hanging out on a, on a branch with the mist of the waterfalls and the different things that are going on around you. But I'm so thankful that we can know that we serve a God who can help us with true peace in the midst of all that chaos that we might be experiencing, when we recognize that peace is not about our circumstances, it's not about the storms, it's not about the waterfall, it's not about the precariousness even of our situation, but it's about the one who is faithful to walk with us through even the most difficult times, we can be just like that bird. It doesn't matter what's going on around us, because the fact is that God is with us That's why he is called our Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. Peace is not the absence of conflict, church. But it is the presence of God in our conflict. Jesus said this in John 16, 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you're going to have trouble. Conflict, chaos, turmoil, struggles. But take heart. He says, I've overcome the world. He's already overcome it. He's already overcome it. He's not one day going to overcome it. He already has overcome it. Take heart. We rest in that. That's part of the hope that we have. But it also gives us peace. And then he promised in Matthew 28, 20. It says, surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. In other words, he's never going to leave you. He's right there with you. He's with you always. Can you say always? Does that leave any space for any time that he's not? No. He's with you always. And finally, in Deuteronomy 31, 6, we're encouraged to be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or terrified because of the circumstances, the chaos, the turmoil that's going on in this world and in your life. For the Lord your God goes with you, and he will never leave you, and he'll never forsake you. Those are two different things, by the way. He's never going to leave you, but he's also not going to betray you. Forsake you means that he's not going to throw you under the bus. He's not going to turn on you when the going gets rough. He's not going to turn you in to the authorities, right? He's not going to betray you. He's never going to leave you, and he's your confident, 100% guaranteed partner for life. No matter where you go, no matter what, you th- what you're going through, he's with you. You know, I think about the good old days. You ever heard that phrase, oh, sure miss them good old days, how many said that even this past week, right? You know, this, you know what I'm talking about? And the older you get, the more you reflect back on them good old days. You know, that first Christmas morning, the angels brought some good news. A child had been born in Bethlehem, and he'll be a better king who'll rule with perfect justice and bring peace. Now, Luke was actually taking this phrase that he said, uh, this, he, and he's really using this uh, prophetic promise from Isaiah. He was king on this time when the nation of Israel knew peace. The angel was referring to a time when David was king. You might call it in the, in, with the people of Israel, the, the, the people of uh, uh, the Jewish race, you might call it that those were the good old days. Oh, remember when David was king. Oh, those were the good old days when David was king. It's funny how we look back nostalgically to the good old days, isn't it? Remember back when things were more simple? Remember when they were more wholesome? (laughs) Remember when they were more affordable? But, you know, if we're honest with ourselves, even in those good old days, there were times of conflict and struggle and turmoil, was there not? We tend to kind of forget those and get very nostalgic and kind of paint things with a rose-colored sort of hue. You know, 
Kelly and I actually were watching an old, uh, on YouTube this week, we were watching some Andy Williams Christmas specials from the 1960s. Just got nostalgic and said, oh, let's just watch the Andy, how many Andy Williams Christmas specials? How many knows what I'm talking about? A few of you, the grayer haired folks, got it. And some of the ones that maybe watched it when you were kids and maybe saw some reruns. Man, they were really great, by the way. If you want to go on YouTube, just look at some of that stuff. It, it just, there was a wholesomeness that was there. There was a peacefulness that was there and nostalgia. Yet, you think about it, during the 1960s, while this was going on, and you see this kind of idealistic sort of wonderful escape in this program, what was going on in the 1960s? There was upheaval in our country. There was turmoil, the Vietnam War. There was social unrest. People were getting, leaders were getting assassinated. I mean, the 1960s, were, there was, it was not, uh, you didn't, if you were, it wasn't for the faint of heart, the 1960s. So during the, during the Andy Williams and all these other sort of things that were going on, we think, oh, if we just could go back to the 1960s. I don't think so. I don't think we need to do that again. It's funny how we tend to forget the bad stuff when we paint this rosy picture in our minds of years past as if they were somehow better than today. Even in the days when David was king, there were still some wars. David messed up. Challenges were occurring regularly. Times were good, but church, the times weren't perfect for David, the times of David in the 1960s or any other times that were the good old days in your life or in the life of this nation or this world. But the future time Isaiah was described would be even better than King David's. The future time that Isaiah was describing would be better than any time that you have in your mind of the good old days in your life. The future time that Isaiah was describing would be a time that this baby who was found wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger would come as the God of the universe and he would come to make things new and right and perfect, not just for a season, not just for a hundred years, but for the rest of eternity. That's the hope that we, link, that we cling to. And that's the place of peace that we can rest in. You see, the peace wouldn't come from a mortal man with flaws and imperfections, but instead it would come from the perfect, eternal divinity of Jesus Christ, God's Son. And I'm so thankful today that Jesus is going to come and make all things new forever. I look forward to that day. Now, as soon as this announcement was made, the good news inspired a company of angels to declare praises to God. Luke 2, go back to that. Verse 13 and 14 said, Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God on the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those whom his favor rests. Whom his favor rests. The declare, this declaration ended by saying that peace would come to those on whom God's favor rests. So the question I want to ask you today is this. Do you want to know God's peace? If so, do you want true peace? If so, do you want a peace that passes all understanding that is found in, as described in Philippians chapter 4 verse 7 uh, that, that's going to rule your heart, rule your mind, it's going to pass all understanding in the midst of your turmoil and challenge. Do you want that peace? Do you desire that peace? Do you need that peace? If so, then you must receive God's favor because God's favor is what brings his peace. I'll go back and say again what the angel said, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. What does that mean? His favor rests. You know, I can't imagine anyone would not want God's favor. 
How many wants God's favor? Just by a show of hands. God's favor, sure. So how do you get God's favor? How do you get God's favor? Well, here it is. It's no rocket science. The angels proclaimed it. I just read it. God's favor comes from being at peace with God. The Bible reveals that the most important place that we need to experience the peace that we need is not within our relationships. It's not in circumstances. If things would just go well, smooth, great, we could just be in a nice place. No, that's not the kind of peace we're looking for. Be nice, but it's not going to satisfy us. The peace, the greatest need for peace that we have as human beings is the peace that we need to have between us and God. The book of Romans tells us that the rule that governs over us most is the rule of sin. We were all born in sin. Every one of us was born imperfect and sinful people. And this rule of sin stirs chaos and conflict within us when we decide to be ruled by sin rather than by God. Let me read to you in Romans chapter 8, verses 6 through 8. It says, the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. In other words, you're not in favor with God. In order to be in favor with God, you need to please God. But if you're living in the flesh, you will not please God. Because you're dead in your spirit. You're alive in your flesh. But we need to die to our flesh and become alive to the spirit. That's how you make peace with God. You know, when we find ourselves lost and controlled and living in sin, our spirits are at odds with God. In other words, you're fighting with Him. You're resisting Him. You're against God. We don't submit to Him and we won't submit to Him because our, our flesh says, I like being in control. So why does this, why do we do this? I, Satan certainly deceives and all, but as I said a few months ago, we don't need to blame him all the time because sometimes we can blame ourselves. We're the first one to point the finger to. Satan's happy to grease the skids and encourage it along, but we go our own way because we think we know better. That's what happened in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve. They thought they knew better, so they ate of the tree, the uh, fruit of good and evil. In direct disobedience to God, God said, don't do it. They said, eh, we're going to do it. And it's been the same through the ages and generations up to this very day because God is telling you and I the same thing. Don't do this. And we're going to go, oh, I'm going to do it. I'm sorry. He don't know. I'm going to do it because I want to do it because I feel like doing it because it makes me feel good. I'm in control. Can't tell me what to do. And God don't know me. You know, we think we know better because we're smarter. We think we know better because we're right. We think we know better because we're more informed. We think we know better. We justify our actions because we know us. And God, you know, he'll just wink. He'll be all right. He knows our hearts. We hold unforgiveness because we know we've been wrong. We engage in sin because we know where to draw this line. And we just make our own rules. It's not okay for others, but it's okay for us, you know. By the way, that's creating a God on our own making when we do that. But that's not the God of the Bible that I'm speaking about today. He is black and white. There are hard and fast rules, but they're not to make us 
worse and less enjoyable in our lives, but they make us better and to make us more enjoyable in our lives. He makes those rules so that we can live a life that is blessed and doing well with him. And by the way, when it comes to others, isn't this heart posture at the forefront of every conflict that we face? Are we not at war with another person and harming one another because in the end, we think we know what's best? We're governed by our flesh and we're at odds with a holy God who cannot and will not tolerate sin in his presence. He loves us, but he won't tolerate sin. He hates sin. And by the way, that's why Jesus came to earth as a baby. That's why we celebrate Christmas. Because Jesus began the work of restoring us, of rescuing us, of repairing our relationship and bringing us back to God through his finished work. But to live a sinless life, he gave his life for us on the cross of Calvary. He shed his perfect blood so that we could be forgiven of our sins. I'm so thankful that Jesus died for my sins. And I'm so thankful that he's restored me back to right relationship with God the Father today. How about you? He's done that for you as well. Go back to the original one. If he did it for the shepherds, he'll do it for all of us. All of us are good enough. All of us are worthy. He came for all of us. This favor that God declared to the angels through the angels is that favor that he wants us to have today. This favor is us making peace with God by receiving the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. You know, you've heard this at funerals before when people say, well, did he make his peace with God? What they mean was, did they make it right? Did they accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior? He made his peace with God. We don't have to wait until our deathbed. You can do that today. Make your peace with God today so that you can live in his favor and then live in that peace that he provides for you in the midst of your chaos. You know, the birth of this promised king is the coming of a new rule for the entire world. And that rule begins inside of each of us, inside of our hearts. Yes, he's going to establish an earthly kingdom and he'll reign and rule forever in perfect righteousness. But that rule begins in your heart today and in my heart today. This baby grew up to be a man who offered himself on the cross as an atonement for our sins. The peace that we find at Christmas comes from submitting to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Because what that does is it reorients our hearts back to God and it makes us friends of God. No longer enemies, but friends. So though the, though the world may be in chaos today, church, things may be going on around us that we don't like and it concerns us, it overwhelms us, it makes us anxious. We can find comfort if we so choose and confidence in knowing that we have been made right with God through the blood of Jesus Christ and that he is with us. His presence in our lives brings us peace. Maybe today you recognize that the reason that there's no peace in your heart is because you've not made peace with God. If this is the case, then know this. You're at odds with God. But that peace is available to anyone, to all of us, to you today, if you so receive it. Because of God's grace, we can in faith trust Jesus with all aspects of our life. So I want to invite you today to pray. 
to pray today a prayer of peace, (laughs) that you would know this peace of God that passes all understanding, that you'll make your peace with God today. I just would ask everyone to stand, and Larry, could you come up and help me out here today? Just every eye closed and head bowed. I don't know your situation. And, you know, it seems like every Sunday I, I make this invitation and several people, you know, lift up their hands and they receive the Lord. I'm so thankful for that. And I just don't ever want to stand before God and, and him say, well, why didn't you make the invitation? You had a chance. You had an opportunity every Sunday. So that's why I do it, church. And thank you, all of you who do have Jesus in your heart. Thank you for your patience and understanding in that. That's why I do this. I just want people have that opportunity because you may be visiting here today. I don't know what your situation is. You're here with family, friends. You're visiting from out of town. Maybe you just showed up today and saw us on the, saw the red cups on the fence and said, today's the day I'm going to come. You know, for whatever reason you're here, for whatever reason you're viewing this today online, it's not by mistake. And I just want to give you an opportunity. I, I can't save you. This church can't save you. The person standing next to you can't save you. Your good works can't save you. Your citizenship can't save you. Nothing can save you. Nothing will save you except for Jesus Christ. He is the only way to salvation. He's the only way to make peace with God. Today, if you want to make your peace with God as the first step and then live in that peace going forward, in the midst of whatever chaos might be going on in your life or in this world. Today is the first day of the rest of your life. December the 3rd, 2023 is your spiritual birthday. I would be honored to be able to lead you to the Lord today. So with your eyes closed and head bowed, I would ask those maybe today that would like to make their peace with God. This is a personal decision between you and the Lord. And Christians, just pray. Because the Lord is working in some hearts right now. He has been through this whole service. And he's just drawing people in. Those at home as well. I'm speaking to you. But I just ask if you would just maybe slip up your hand and say, Pastor, I, I want to make my peace with God today. That's, I'm here today because of that. I need Jesus in my life. I've strayed away. I've lived my own life. I'm living in the flesh. I'm at odds with people. I'm at odds with God, and I just know it. There's a turmoil in my heart. I want to make my peace with God. Is that you today? Just lift up your hand and put it right back down and say, Pastor, that's me. I want to pray. I want to pray a prayer. I want to ask Jesus in my heart today. Anybody? Anybody at home? Anybody at home? Just lift up your hand as well. I don't know if you're lifting your hand, but do so. The Lord sees that hand. Just making that outward acknowledgement that says, I need to make peace with God. Good. Now, the Lord is with you there in your home. The Lord is here with you in this place. And if you're raising your hand and, and that's, you know, that's you, you can put it back down if you like. I see that hand. I acknowledge that. The Lord sees that hand. If you didn't raise your hand and you're still feeling that way, that's all right. I just want you to still make a public profession. So say it out loud with me, this prayer. Because Jesus says, if you are ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. If you deny me, I'll deny you. So the opposite is true. Don't be ashamed. And don't deny him. But declare him today. Unashamedly, Jesus Christ is my Savior. He's my Lord. He, he, he's my peace. Right? 
I will not be ashamed. I will not deny him. Today I'll receive him. Would you all pray this prayer? And and I want to do a couple of things in this prayer. The first one is let's receive Jesus. But then also I want to pray over you that whatever turmoil, whatever report, whatever situation, whatever struggle that you're going through, that you would rest again find that place of peace in him that he will rule your thinking and your emotions in him right so let's all pray this prayer out loud together whether you raise your hand or not say Jesus I need to make peace with God so today I invite you to come live in my heart wash me clean of all my sins and be the Lord of my life. I thank you that now I've made peace with God. I repent of my sins and I will live for you from this day on. I thank you now that I'm born again. (laughs) I'm a child of God. I have made peace with God. I've been restored to right relationship to God my Father. Now, Lord, I pray over this whole congregation that your peace that passes all understanding will rule every heart, every mind, and that in the midst of the chaos that's going on in the world, the turmoil, the struggle, the strife that you said would happen right before you return, that in the midst of that, that we would be like that bird in that nest hanging out on that limb in the midst of the storm and the waterfall swirling around us that we can rest in you in the midst of the turmoil that you would be our prince of peace rule our hearts rule our minds until the day you return you'll never leave us you'll never forsake us you're with us always even to the end of our lives you're with us through every situation through the good times and the bad you'll never forsake us you're always going to be there And you're there with us now. So I pray, Father, for your peace right now. Let your peace in this season of Advent envelop us and pour of us like a, just like a warm oil. That we would just fall back and rest in that peace and live in that peace. Not scramble to get out of it and scurry about in our activities of life and and the next little report that we get the next little thing we hear that it that it stirs us up again into turmoil but instead let us not only live in your peace let us remain in your peace and let your peace remain in us